0: You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm the pastor. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 28 today, and I encourage you to bring that out with you as we work through this uh, this passage. We're actually going to be in the same passage for the next four weeks. Uh, It's famously called the Great Commission, and we're going to be unpacking this, diving deep into these uh, few verses that are just so uh, famous and and instrumental, really, for, for the church and the work that we do together, and and uh, the reason we're going we're gonna to camp out here for the next four weeks is uh, over the summer, I, last eight weeks, I came in July 1st, it was my first uh, day here, and over the la- next eight weeks after that, I did uh, a listening tour. Many of you participated on the listening tour. I, I met with about 200, over 200 people from Schweitzer in 19 different sessions. It took uh, like 45 hours cumulative as we put this together. Um, we were just, I was listening, I was the new guy in town, I was listening to what was on the church's heart and what the church was thinking and feeling and, and uh, th- these were designed for me to listen. You come on Sunday and you listen so I sat in living rooms across the city and I listened to what the church um, was thinking and, and feeling and, and over the course of that, that time though, each one of the sessions I also said, whatever questions do you have for me and, and by far uh, the most common question that the church asked me in those sessions was, Spencer, uh, what is your vision for the church? And so this series is uh, born out of that question. As I've been thinking through, what what is, how do you begin to answer that question? And I'm not going to stand up here in the series and give you like a five year plan when we talk about a vision for the church because I'm not even close to that sort of thing or goals or an object, uh, object, uh, objectives and that, that sort of thing. What what I want to share with you are, are really just things that are on my heart. And if you were to ask me like, why did I become a pastor? Uh, we're going to work through a, a passage that. that that is the reason I get up in the morning and the reason I do this work and the reason I've said yes to what the Lord has. And, and hopefully it's the reason that, that together uh, this is common work that God is calling us to. Is These these ideas that we're going to find in these verses we're going to read over the next four weeks. And um, I, I just kind of want to give you a glimpse into what drives me as a leader and as a pastor and, and uh, what I think that, that Jesus speaks to the church. And I don't mean that in terms of just Schweitzer, but I mean that for the church, just every church, every Christian um, is called to a similar work that we do together, and, and I think this work is, is said really clearly in, in this passage of, of the Great Commission. And so we're going to read through Matthew 28, the last few verses um, each week, and, and each week we're going to pick out a different part of this, some, some big ideas that we find in here, and talk about what this means for us and as our work that we do together and, and, and as a church. So this morning, let's jump into this. Matthew 28, we're going to start reading in verse 16. This is the very last paragraph of the Gospel of Matthew, and here's how it goes. It says, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Notice there's eleven disciples, because this is after the cross, after the resurrection. Uh, Judas has exited, and so therefore there's only eleven disciples. Verse 17 says, when they saw him, him is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. It says they worshipped him, but some doubted. Doubted could also be translated as hesitated, because Jesus was dead, and now he's alive, and... It's probably what I would do too. I was like, whoa, I thought he was dead, but he's alive. And so they're they're doubting, they're hesitating. And then here's what Jesus said to them, verse 18. Jesus said to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at this passage. This is the Great Commission, the, the work that Jesus has given to his church to do. And we're going to be looking at this, unpacking this, looking at different aspects and angles of this. And and as we start here, we're going to start this morning with an idea that's in here, uh, really just a word. We're going to start with just a word that's in here that is one of the uh, most underappreciated words that you find in this passage. This very famous passage. It's, it's not a word that gets a lot of airtime. It's not a word that that uh, people preach on very often, but it is a word that if you don't have it, the whole thing falls apart. With what we're reading this morning, and so we're going to look at just a single word this morning to get this series going, and that word is this: therefore. Right? You hear what Jesus said? He said, "All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples, baptizing them in the, name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit." The, the, the therefore. Now, grammatically speaking, when you have this word therefore, therefore is always a word that connects two ideas together. It uh, usually shows a cause and effect kind of thing. This is the reason for that. So, for instance, uh, the Chiefs play at noon today. Therefore, we will probably be done by 11.50. (laughs) Right? Cause and effect. You can see the relationship of how that works together. Therefore, and when you're reading the Bible and you see this word, therefore, you always need to be thinking, what are the connecting ideas? And so again, let's look at this again. There's connecting, cause and effect. This is what this word um, always implies in the Bible, is a cause and effect. And so when we see this um, in Matthew 28, there's two ideas that are being connected together. What was it again? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, here's the effect of this. Here's what you do because of this. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The work that we do together, this going and making disciples, it rests on an assumption of something else. And if you don't have the assumption of something else, the going and making disciples really doesn't make any sense. But it rests on an assumption of something else, and that something else is this, that Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now what in the world does that mean? For Jesus to say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Well think again, Matthew chapter 28, it's all in context. This whole thing was written together in one block of thinking. And so if we back up a little bit in Matthew 28, we can see what Jesus is talking about when he says, all authority on heaven and earth was given to me. And if the work that we have together of making disciples rests on this authority that's been given to Jesus, we need to understand that authority. And so all of that authority comes from what else happens in Matthew 28. So let's back up to the beginning of Matthew 28 and see what else is going on in this chapter to see why it is that we should go make disciples of all nations. Here's how Matthew 28, verse 1 reads. It says, After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, in other words, early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. The tomb is is Jesus' tomb, where he has been laid after he's been crucified. And so you have these two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, which, by the way, how would you love to make the Bible as the other Mary? (laughs) So these two women go look at the tomb where Jesus has been laid. Verse 2 says, Uh, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Of course they did. There's an angel with lightning. and I I, I do the same thing. Verse 5, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus was crucified he is not here he has risen just as he said come and see the place where he lay then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee there you will see him now I've told you so the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy I just love that phrase afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples suddenly it says Jesus met them Greetings, he said. I love that. Hey, what's up? Hello. Greetings. Well, they came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And from here, this group of women and men, this forgettable, unimpressive group of fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and unimpressive people are going to go into the world and tell everyone that they can that Jesus who was crucified is now alive. And this message, of course, is going to change the history of the world. It's going to change the course of the world. It's going to become the most important thing that has ever taken place, that these people go and, and they tell this news of this event that has happened, that, that, that this man who was crucified, that he now lives. Which of course is a ridiculous thing to say, that somebody who has been crucified is now alive, that, that a dead person now lives. I mean, it's a ridiculous thing to say. It was ridiculous then, it's ridiculous certainly now. And I I know a lot of us when you hear this story of Easter, some of us like to set it aside because we, we get real judgmentally when it comes to Bible Times people. You know, like we look at Bible Times people and we think, well, that's kind of ridiculous. They believe those sorts of things that They believed in silly things like miracles, and they believed in silly things like God might, you know, move miraculously because, you know, Bible times people, they don't have science like we do, and they didn't understand the world like we do, and they didn't have smartphones and understand space and have quantum physics and things like we do, and so therefore we, you know, understand the world more than they do, and it's just, you know, they were superstitious, and and yes, it's true, Bible times people did not have science like we do, and they were more superstitious than we are, but you don't have to be a modern person with modern science to know that a dead person is dead, and that once you're dead, that's it. In fact, I would say it seemed a little bit more ridiculous then than it would be now to hear the story that a, a person who has died is, a, is alive again, because it wasn't like Jesus died in a hospital room, right? He didn't die on hospice care. He didn't die in a sleep on, on comfort medicine. Jesus was violently and brutally crucified. Like, people don't come back from that sort of thing. And so this little group of women and men who saw what happened and saw him alive, they go into the world and they begin to tell the story that Jesus is alive, that he's defeated death, and, and that he said it, he, he's done what he said he could do. And, and this is the story that is, that is going to come and is going to change the course of history. I mean, the, the resurrection, the story of Easter Sunday, this, this story becomes the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. It becomes the most important thing, the most life-changing message that you could possibly hear. And it has, it has literally changed billions of people's lives when they have come in contact with it. This story that Jesus is dead and he's now alive. So when Jesus stands up before his 11 disciples and he says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. This is what he's talking about. That he was crucified, but now he lives. He lives. That he was laid in the tomb dead, and now he's alive, and that he is victorious, and that and that his victory, this is the other side of this, it's not just that Jesus is dead and he's alive, that's not just the message that the early Christians went and, and preached in all the world. It was not just that this thing had happened. The early Christians, as they spread out into the world and shared this message, it was twofold. It was one, that Jesus has died and is now alive, but the second part of that is, is also that what has happened to Jesus can also happen to you, that that he was He's been resurrected, and, and, and you can be too. That, that his life can now fill your life too. That, that what has happened to him can fill your life. That this is the message of, of life change that these early Christians spread into the world to share. This life-changing, world-changing message. And Jesus stands before him and says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm victorious. I've defeated death. And I can give to you this victory that I've also received. That I've also achieved. This is the the message that Jesus has given to his church and this is the reason why he tells them to go and make disciples of all nations. This is why this matters that we go and tell the nations that Jesus is alive because we have this empty tomb. Now the early Christians, they had this message, right? This, this message that Jesus is alive and you can be too. And as you unpack this message, it you see how powerful and life-changing it is. And so this morning I want to dig at that message a little bit more to to understand a little bit more deeply about what is going on here. And so to to do this, I want to read another passage in the Bible. Romans chapter 8 is is written by another person who encountered Jesus and this life-changing power of Jesus. Uh, A Jewish rabbi who was named Saul started going by the name Paul, and he wrote this letter, Romans. It's a long letter, 16 chapters. We're going to jump right to the middle of it. And I, I just want to read to you one of the clear statements in the Bible about why this message matters why it is that this group of women and men spread into the world to share this message and, and the difference that it makes for us. So Romans chapter 8, um, starting right in the middle of a thought, and we're going to read one of the clearest sentences in the Bible about why Easter morning matters to us. But before we get there, we have to read some kind of clunky sentences. So stick with me for just, just a few sentences here as we read through this. This is Romans chapter 8, verse, starting in verse 9. He, Paul writes this. He says, um, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. So like I said, we're going to get to a very clear sentence in just a second. Before we get there, we have to set this up. So let's go back to that verse. Uh, The Spirit of God lives in you. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. So to to set this up, why Easter morning matters so much, uh, we have to understand this this first part here. Paul is saying there's two realms of life. There's the realm of the flesh. There's the realm of the spirit. The spirit is the Holy Spirit. There's God. There's the realm of living for yourself. There's a realm of living for a deeper purpose in life. There's these two realms that you have, and you have a choice about, about which realm that you are going to live in. Are you going to live for yourself, for your own agenda, for your own plans, for your own life, for your own dreams, for whatever you want to do? Or are you going to live for a purpose that God has for you? Two realms that we have. And you'll notice that the distinction between these two realms in Romans 8, verse 9, is just simply this if the Spirit of God lives in you. That's the distinction about which realm you live in. Another translation of the Bible says it like this. It says, if God himself has taken up residence in your life. I love this idea. The difference between these two realms that we can live in is if God has taken up residence in your life. Uh, this last summer, I bought a house. I hadn't bought a house in a long time. In Kansas City, where we lived, we lived in a church-owned parsonage. And so we, we bought a house when we moved to Springfield, and, And uh, last time we bought a house, we lived in Tulsa. This was was a long time ago, and we hadn't done house shopping in a long time. Some of you probably also haven't done house shopping in a long time. And when we were doing house shopping, one of the things that I was surprised by, I, I didn't remember it was like this, was how awkward it is to go into somebody else's house and look through their closets. I'd totally forgotten how awkward that is. And how much I I was thinking to myself, I'm so glad they're not here as I'm looking through all of their drawers and going through everything that they have because I want to see what this house has. And this is like what you have to do. And and you go in this house, you got the pictures of the family up, and you got their furniture, and and all their clothes are in their closet. And you're like going through everything, and it feels super uh, snoopy. Like you're just like snooping through all this. You're like, my mom did not teach me to do this sort of thing, but I got to do it. Now there's other times we'd go into other houses and some of the other houses would be empty. And uh, like new construction looked a couple of houses that were new construction, looked a few houses where, where the family had moved out, and so it was just it was just empty. And and however much I didn't like going into somebody's living room and their master closet and looking through all that, I really hated going into empty houses. Like there's something sad about going into an empty house. And I don't know exactly what it is, but my theory is that the reason it's it's sad is because uh, the house wasn't meant to be empty. Like, it was built for this purpose to be lived in. And so when you go into an empty house, it's like you're being reminded that, like, there's something here that's not quite right. And I think this is why realtors go to all this effort of staging houses so that it looks like it's lived in, because there's something just kind of emotionally sad walking into an empty house. And uh, that's how this is for us. Uh, We were built, we were created, we were made to be a residence of the Lord. Like we were made to be the place where God makes his residence. We were made to be this place where the spirit of God dwells. We were, we were created for this purpose, but we don't always live in this purpose. Sometimes we live in our own purposes, and we live in our own agendas, and we live in our own life, and we live for ourselves. And, and when we do that, we find ourselves maybe having short-term gratification, but long-term, we end up feeling incredibly empty. I mean, think about the person who's lived their whole life for their career, and then they get to retirement and they don't know what to do for themselves. They, they have regret because maybe they miss their kids, their whole growing up because they live for themselves and not for like this deeper purpose of what God has for them in their life. Or, or think about how sometimes we say, um, money doesn't buy happiness. Well, what we're saying is, if you live for yourself, you live for your own agenda, you live for your own life, you live in the realm of the flesh, ultimately you're going to end up empty. Like this is what, what takes place because you were made, you were created to be a residence of the Lord. You were created to be a place where God himself dwells. You were made to be the place where the God of the universe, the God of creation, takes up life. You were made to be that place. And so as we keep reading through here in Romans 8, you can see more of this. And I want to get to this very clear sentence of why this matters. So let's just keep reading through here. It says, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, Paul says, they do not belong to Christ. Like, The whole point of belonging to Christ is that he may dwell in your life, that you would be full of him. Verse 10 says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And then verse 11, if you're reading from your own Bibles, you need to underline Romans 8 verse 11. It's so important. Paul writes this. This is why Easter matters. He says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you. I'm going to read that one more time. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I want you to catch this. You were made to be a place where God's spirit dwells. And, and because of what happened on Easter morning with the tomb being empty, the stone rolling away for Jesus who was crucified coming back to life, what, what this means for you is that, is that you are a place where God's miraculous power comes to reside. You are a place where Easter morning power comes to live. That's what it says, that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in You. This is the gift that God has given to us because of Easter morning, this gift of miraculous power. Think of the miraculous power of God given to you. The God who parted the Red Sea, his power given to you. The God who who shook the dead and woke Jesus so that he is alive after three days, his power is given to you. The God of eternity, his power is given to you. See, Easter morning is like this. Easter morning is like God looks at your life, it's like a box, and, and your life has these parameters around it. It's got this lid on it, and it's got this like, like place where you're going to reach full potential. And, and because of Easter morning, it's almost as if what God does is like, you know what we should do? Let's just take the lid off this. Because now because of Easter morning, because the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you, we're going to have all new realms of possibilities and new things that are going to take place and new possibilities and, and life-changing power that's going to be given to us. And this is why the message of Jesus is not just that he died. It's not just that he died and rose again, but it's also that, that his life is offered to you as a gift. His power is offered to you as a gift. His life-changing potential and possibilities are offered to you as a gift. This is the message that changed the course of history, that these unimpressive, ordinary, uneducated women and men spread into the world to tell, listen, Jesus is alive, and because he's alive, you can be too. He's got a life-changing power that he wants to offer you. You see, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, friends, so that you can stay living the same life. Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that you can stay stuck in fear and anxiety. Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that you can continue to worry about all the details of your life. Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that you can stay stuck in addictions. Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that we can stay stuck in toxic relationships. Jesus didn't rise from the dead for these reasons. He rose from the dead so that we can have new life. His power-filled life. This is what he's talking about. He stands before his 11 disciples and he proudly and victoriously proclaims, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. What he says is because I have been raised from the dead, I can change your life. I can give you power and victory. I can change your heart. I can change your circumstances. I can change your life. That's what he says because I have the power to do it. I defeated death. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And sometimes you might wonder, well, what do we do with Easter morning? What is the the thing that we apply from that? Well, here it is. Here's what you do because all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Here's what you do with that. Therefore, you go make disciples. Therefore, you go tell everyone you can that Jesus is alive. Therefore, you go share this good news message that he can change people's lives. Therefore, you go and take this message into your relationships and into your houses and into your workplaces and into your neighborhoods, this message of life change that Jesus can provide for everyone, this message that he is alive and he can change every person's life, that he is the hope of every person's heart, and that he wants to reside in every person's life. He wants everyone, all of us, to be the place where his power dwells. And so people have been asking me, Spencer, what's your vision for our church? You know, I don't have like a five-year plan. I don't have any goals and objectives to share with you. I I don't have like a a chart with lined items coming out of it or anything like that. But here's what I can tell you as your pastor. Uh, My vision for our church, it begins with an empty tomb. It begins with the life-changing power of God available to everybody. It begins with this message that the tomb is empty. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I don't mean that as some story we read once a year on some Sunday in April. I mean that the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, we have all kinds of possibilities available to us through the power of God. I mean that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. That's my vision for the church. This is where this begins. And because this is what he has offered us, because this is the potential that he has given us, Well, friends, we've got work to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, of everybody, of all kinds of people. Those who are living far from God and have no idea what God can offer them. It's our job. It's our work to do, to share this message because he's alive. And so we have the task together, individually and corporately, to go, make disciples of all nations, of all people, We're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. We're going to teach them how to live in this relationship with him. And so when people ask me, what's my vision for the church? I'll tell you this. It involves an empty tomb and this work that we have to do together. Over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack more and more about what this means. But we have to start here. Because if you don't start here, you miss the whole purpose for why we would ever go in the first place. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much that this morning we get to remember and proclaim that the tomb is empty, that death has been defeated, and that you are victorious, and that you are are offering to all of us here a gift of life. For many of us, we have settled for far less than this. We have lived for selfishness and in this realm of the flesh, not in the realm of the spirit. And this morning, God, we wanna open our hearts once more for you to come into our lives, and take the lid off our lives, to open up all kinds of new possibilities. For anyone here this morning who has never before experienced the life-changing power of the resurrected Jesus, we want to simply um, offer you a prayer. And if anyone's on the fence about this and wants to believe and, and put their faith and trust in Christ, a very simple prayer, Lord, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? Because when we open our hearts to you and our lives to you, the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead, is available for us. So, Lord, we pray for our church as well, that we might be a church of the empty tomb, one who lives and resides in your power and goes into all the world to share this life-changing message that Jesus is alive and we can be too. In the name of Jesus, who victoriously rose from the dead, we pray together. Amen.